0: All right, good morning, redemption. I'm excited to open this passage and look at it with you all this morning because I think it's going to give us a new lens on how to deal with our anxiety. So, the world says to you that the way that you deal with your anxiety is by changing your circumstances. So, if I can get over the hump of this circumstance or put this in the rearview mirror, Then I can finally have peace. But the problem with that is once we get over the hump of our latest anxiety, those of us who have lived a little bit longer know that there's just another anxiety to come. There's another problem to come. We've experienced enough trouble in our lives to know that we never get past the trouble. And so what Jesus is going to say to us in this passage is something really straightforward. He's going to say, in this world, you will continue to have trouble. That's the bad news. You never get over the hump. There's always another problem coming your way. But he says it's possible to have peace in the midst of the trouble. And the key is just in two words, that Jesus says in the text. He says, and I'm putting an exclamation point after it, take heart. The key to overcoming anxiety is not getting past the trouble, but it is learning to take heart in the midst of the trouble. So let's look at three different ways that we do that. In our lives. The first one is to recognize that seeing Jesus is joy. Look with me again at John 16, verses 16 through 22. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus and his disciples are on the way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is giving them a crash course on what's about to happen so that they have perspective when it does happen. Now, their perspective at this point is that Jesus is not about to go to any type of suffering, but that Jesus is about to defeat the occupying army of Rome and overtake Jerusalem for the kingdom of God right now glory without any suffering and Jesus is saying something very different is going to happen and he's explaining it in this figure of speech that must be true to what happened because of how awkward the narrative is right like John is describing what happened they're like okay you said a little while you won't see me then a little while after that you'll see me And then Jesus is like, yeah, I think you guys are asking what I'm talking about when I said a little while you won't see me, and then a little while you will see me. And then they're like, yeah, we're wondering what you're talking about when you're saying a little while we won't see you, and then a little while we will see you. And it's like repeated all these times. Well, it's repeated all these times because that's what really happened. And so everybody's like, what is going on? And Jesus, instead of speaking super plainly to them, because he knows that they're going to hightail and run right now if he tells them what's about to happen very, very clearly, and he still has more to teach them, uses an analogy to describe what's about to happen. And he uses this analogy of a woman giving birth to a child. And so Jesus says... To them, something that they would all have understood, even if they hadn't experienced it firsthand. And that's that it's really painful to have a child. But when a woman has a child, she forgets the pain because of the joy of seeing her child's face. And Jesus is saying something like that is about to happen. There's going to be a deep pain and anguish, but after the deep pain and anguish, there is going to be such joy that you will forget the pain that your heart just went through. Now, this makes all the difference in the world, right? Because for the disciples, they're about to experience the worst pain of their life. This best friend of theirs who has been with them for three years on the most epic camping trip ever, doing miracles, they have believed that he is the savior of the world, and they are about to see him hanging on a Roman cross. And Jesus is saying the analogy for that is the anguish of a woman who is giving birth to a baby. Now that's so important because imagine, okay, you come off the elevator at a hospital and you're walking around on a floor of the hospital and you don't know what type of floor of the hospital that is. And you just hear people crying out in anguish. And you think to yourself, these people are dying. This is horrible. I wish I wasn't here. I wish I could get out of here. I didn't want to experience this type of pain. What if your impression was that that's a cancer ward where everyone is dying, but you find out at some point when you're on the floor that it's the maternity ward? Your perspective changes entirely. Not because you're not hearing the cries of pain, but because you know that the pain is bringing forth joy. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, yes, you are going to see pain. But the, beyond the pain, there is joy. And here's what Jesus is showing us about the joy we can have in him. We can have deep joy in him because his life is indestructible. The greatest enemy that we have is death. For us, death is like the cancer ward. There's nothing good that comes from it. You just die and it's over six feet under. For Jesus, death is the pathway to resurrection because he has a different kind of life. He has an indestructible life. And he is saying to them, that is what is going to happen to me. And mysteriously, your joy is found in me. Because when you see me, you'll have this realization. This guy has overcome the world. And your world will be turned upside down. Everything will be changed for you. Okay, so we can take heart because seeing Jesus is joy. Secondly, we can take heart because you have access to the Father. Starting with verse 23, going to verse 28. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Now, this right here might sound like ordinary teaching to us about us as believers in Jesus having access to the Father. But to his disciples, this was revolutionary teaching. Now, you have to understand as they're walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, they're walking right by the temple. And here's what the temple represented to the Jewish mind. God is shrouded in mystery, and he is inaccessible to some measure to you. Okay, in the temple, on the outside court of the temple, that was where the Gentiles could go. So if you were a non-Jew, you were in this outside court of the temple, Just inside of that was called the court of women. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go into that court, but no further. Inside of that court was the court of men. So if you were a Jewish man, you could go into the court of men. Then there was the place of the altar. Now you get into this place where only professional Jews can go, only priests can go. Then you get into the sanctuary, and then between the sanctuary and this place called the Holy of Holies, there was this veil that was four inches thick, and the high priest would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. That place was the place where the very presence of God would dwell. And so the understanding in the Jewish mind was, you can't just go right up to the Father and ask whatever you want. You can only go as far as he tells you that you can go. And no further. You have a distant relationship with God. But Jesus is saying, that is all about to change Because of what I'm about to do. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross. The priest went and inspected the veil. And do you know what had happened? The veil was torn in two. Four inches thick. God from heaven. On the basis of the death of Jesus on the cross. Tore the veil in two. Symbolically telling us that a change had happened in the spiritual world, that now his presence was open to us by the blood of Jesus. Because we no longer represent ourselves in coming into the presence of God. We are represented by Jesus. So much so that Jesus is saying in this passage, there's going to be a day coming, which we now live in now, where Jesus doesn't have to go to the Father for you, but you can go to the Father yourself. You can walk right into the Holy of Holies. You can sit down on God's lap, and you can ask him whatever you want to ask him. Okay, you guys know I've been into this like documentary kick. I'm watching a documentary on the Roosevelt family right now, okay? So most recently I watched uh, one on Teddy Roosevelt and I learned Teddy Roosevelt was just this full of energy, happy, larger than life type guy and he loved the outdoors. He was the guy who liked to camp, liked to hunt, liked to ride horses and he had a bunch of kids. And so when he was living at the White House, he let his kids ride horses on the White House lawn. Okay, but, but let me take it one step further. Okay, he didn't just let them ride horses on the White House lawn. They had the audacity to ask their dad if they could ride horses in the White House. And Teddy Roosevelt was this happy guy who, who liked to have fun, and he thought to himself, well, if I was a kid, I'd want to ride a horse in the White House. So he said, sure. So there are pictures of his kids riding horses up and down the stairs of the White House, like the giant staircase right on the entrance of the White House. Now, what would have happened if you were just some ordinary schmo riding your horse through Washington, D.C. at that point, and you thought, well, I heard that the Roosevelt kids ride horses in the White House, so I'm going to do it. You know what happened? You get shot. Do you know why they could do it? Because they were his kids. They could ask whatever they want, and he would give it to them. Everything has changed because of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus about what it looks like to have relationship with God you can ride horses in his house. You can ask whatever you want and expect him to, with a smile, give you the best possible answer because he's your dad. You are no longer a distant slave interacting with a judge. You are a son or a daughter of God, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Question, are you enjoying the relationship? Are you treating relationship with God like a set of duties that you have to perform, or are you enjoying him? Coming close to him. Talking to him as you would talk to a friend. Asking him for what your heart really wants. Sharing with him what is really going on in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. He wants that type of relationship with you. So we can take heart because seeing Jesus is joy, because we have access to the Father, and finally, because peace is found in Jesus. Look at verses 29 through 33. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So his disciples hear about. Jesus leaving and Jesus coming back, they hear about this new access that we have to the Father. And they say to Jesus, we get it now. Ah, we got it. We haven't gotten it. Now we've got it. We've arrived at this knowledge. We believe that you are who you said you are. It it makes total sense. You're not using figurative speech anymore. You're speaking plainly to us about what it looks like to have relationship with God. This is why we have believed that you were sent from God. We get it. This is awesome. We're all at at the same place. And Jesus looks at them and he says, do you believe? What an unsettling question, right? Like what a buzzkill in that moment. You've just had this aha moment, like your life's changed. And Jesus is like, do you really believe? I don't know about you, I'd like shrink back. I I thought so, I, I don't know. And Jesus tells them in a sober way where they're really at. He says, this is what's coming. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. See, what's about to happen is they're about to enter the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus asks for them to pray for him, and they don't pray for him because they don't have the energy to stay awake in his hour of greatest need. What's about to happen is Peter is going to tell Jesus that he's going to stand by his side, that he's going to die with him. And instead, he's going to deny him three times. In the presence of a teenage girl, he couldn't stand with Jesus. All of his disciples are going to scatter. They're going to abandon Jesus. And Jesus is saying, despite you guys being horrible friends to me. I'm not going to be alone because my father is going to be with me. See, here's what he's saying. I'm not leaning on you guys. I'm not depending on you guys. I didn't come to the earth to meet some need in myself because I needed friends. I came to the earth To give you something that you don't have, not to take something from you that I need. I came to give you my peace. And look how Jesus says he's going to give us peace. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here is the secret to peace, according to Jesus. Peace is not found in your circumstances, peace is not found in yourself or your ability to keep your end of the bargain in relationship to God. It's not found in your self confidence. Peace is found in Jesus. It is that when we are faithless and anxious and worried and have this same tendency that disciples have to when the going gets tough, not for the tough to get going, but for us to hightail and run and hide. That's all of us. We would have all done the same thing had we been there. But even though we're like this, Jesus says, you can have peace in me because Christianity is not good advice. It's not, here's a list of things that I want you to do, and if you perform this list, then you can have peace. Then you can go to heaven. Then you can have eternal life. Christianity is 100% good news the reason that it's good news, it's because it's all on Jesus. It's an announcement of what he has done, not advice for what we're supposed to get done. So here's what Jesus is like in this moment. It would be great if you were on a sports team, let's say a basketball team, and the best player on the team circled the team up. And he's like, listen, guys, I just need you guys to do your job. Like I need you to set the pick and I need you to get the ball, me the ball and then I'm gonna hit the game winning shot. That would be great news to have that type of player who can deliver in the clutch on your team. Jesus is taking it to the next level here. He is saying, here's what's about to happen. You guys are gonna forget the play. You're gonna trip all over your feet. Some of you are going to forget to even check into the game. Here's what I'm going to do I'm going to take the ball. I don't even trust you guys enough to pass you the ball. So I'm going to do that thing like the guy on the other team is going to have his back to me. I'm going to throw it off his butt. I'm going to grab it, and I'm still going to hit the game winning shot. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you guys stink at this game like this whole Christianity thing you're terrible at it it's all about me in me you can have peace not in you not in this world not in yourself in me And I wonder if so many of us in this room right now are miserable Christians because we have a me-centered Christianity. We're looking inside of ourselves. We're looking at our own faith. We're always taking our spiritual pulse. We're always asking the question, am I enough? Do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I pray enough? Do I read the Bible enough? And we're looking inside for peace. And every once in a while, we're going to King Jesus and we're saying to him, I got it. I finally arrived. I believe in you now. I've crossed enough T's. I've dotted enough I's. I've checked enough boxes. Now will you accept me? And Jesus looks at us right now and he says, do you believe? Really? I know you. You guys are pathetic. But that's okay. That's the whole point. That's why he came. He didn't come for cleaned up people. He didn't come for people who are filled with faith. He didn't come for people who get it. He came for miserable people. He came for sinners. God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can have peace in him. We can have peace because of what he's done, not because of what we have done. So how does that apply to our lives? It applies to our lives in a million different ways. Because here's what's going to happen. Trouble and tribulation is going to come your way. And do you know what you're going to do? You're going to freak out. And if the trouble gets heavy enough and if it gets hard enough, you might even have a crisis of faith. And you'll come to this place where you're like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. My heart is so bogged down. I am so bothered. I am so overwhelmed. And you know what's going to happen? I hope. You'll remember Jesus' words. See what you're experiencing in yourself. Inside of you, in the world that you live in, there's only trouble. And I hope that in those moments, you'll remember this and you'll look up to Jesus and you'll hear him say, in me you can have peace. You can have peace in me because I have overcome the world. You're terrible at overcoming the world. You can't even overcome your own anxiety but in me, peace. See, peace is an announcement of what Jesus has done apart from you, not a list of things that you have to do. So here's the good news. We always have something to rejoice about. No matter what you're going through right now, in this world, trouble. Inside of my heart, trouble. In Jesus, everything is okay. All is well. There's always good news. The good news, guys, is that the gospel is that it is finished. It is not You've got some work to do. Jesus, on the cross, took care of Satan, sin, death, and suffering so that you don't have to overcome those things yourself. So maybe the best thing that we could do is not to try to overcome the various troubles in our lives, but to sit in the trouble with Jesus, lift our hands up, and sing our heads off because of what he's done. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you don't offer us peace on the world's terms. It's not, hey, you got some work to do, you got to get in a little bit better shape, you got to get over your grief, you got to get over your pain. You've got to get in these type of relationships. You've got to get out of the trouble because, God, the trouble keeps coming and finding us. And maybe the more disturbing thing for us, God, is that the trouble is deep down inside of us. So, Jesus, would you come this morning and give us the peace that surpasses all understanding, Would you guard our hearts and minds, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus? Would you root us in his love that has come from above, that is outside of us? Would you surround us with his world-conquering peace? Would you speak this good news to us? We don't understand why you keep us in the trouble. You don't just rescue us out right now. But despite our lack of understanding, God, would you rain down your peace on us through your spirit? In Jesus' name.